Welcome, beautiful people to Camp Koji. My name is Joel, and thank you for joining me as I break down the biggest gaming news from the week that was on the only podcast you will ever need. On today's show, we're going to talk about yet another Switch rumor from Bloomberg, Konami getting back into gaming. Now, main story is going to be about Xbox and PlayStation's content strategies for the future. But first, of course, we have to talk about Activision Blizzard yet again. What's this, the third or fourth week in a row? Last week, we found out about yet another lawsuit against the company, the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, or the EEOC, revealed a lawsuit against Activision Blizzard. This new EEOC complaint is focused on alleged gender-based discrimination and harassment. According to The Verge, the EEOC's complaint indicates that it notified Activision Blizzard of its findings on June 15th, but it began its investigation all the way back in September 2018. Now, it's interesting that shortly after this news became public last week, Activision Blizzard announced they had already reached a settlement agreement with the EEOC. As part of the settlement, they committed to create an $18 million fund to compensate and make amends to eligible claimants. Any amounts not used for claimants will be divided between charities that advance women in the video game industry or promote awareness around harassment and gender equality issues, as well as company diversity, equity, and inclusion initiative as approved by the EEOC. The agreement is still subject to court approval. So long story short, I guess pretty much the quickest way to assess this is that there was an $18 million dollar settlement which is uh pretty tiny compared to the size of activision blizzard's company just to put it into perspective bobby kotick uh his 2021 compensation is expected to be around 154 million dollars so you can see why 18 million dollars is pretty tiny the campaign to organize digital employees responded to the settlement by saying quote a slap in the face to workers who have dealt with toxic working conditions for years. The Communication Workers of America Secretary Treasurer Sarah Steffens tweeted the following statement. Activision Blizzard is worth $72 billion. An $18 million settlement is mere pennies considering the resources available to this cash-rich corporation. Even worse, Activision Blizzard's management does not acknowledge that their actions harm their workers, viewing the settlement as a very small price to pay to rid themselves of a distraction and i think that's gonna be the major conclusion from everything that happens with activision blizzard is that um i don't think that there will be any acknowledgement or any responsibility taken by activision blizzard we've kind of already seen how they're choosing to play this game kind of throwing blizzard almost blizzard pretty much as a company under the bus and sort of just not even firing people, let letting people, you know, resign, so to speak, and just leave the company uh, almost as if as if it's on their own accord. And, you know, just to say face, I have brought this up the first time we spoke about this lawsuit that uh, a lot of people were just going to be sort of sacrificed to almost in an attempt to bolster Activision's public image in a way of saying, hey, look, guys, we're actually doing something about this, even though they're probably not really doing anything about it. So we'll have to wait until next week to see if there's any 
more lawsuits or anything else going into this Activision Blizzard issue. But for now, that's the latest. Our first story deals with Nintendo Switch. Now, within the last few years, Bloomberg has become sort of this go-to for Nintendo Switch hardware leaks. The only problem is they've kind of always been a bit wrong, and it sort of seems like it happened again. So last week, Bloomberg reported that several studios were in possession of 4K Switch development kits. Quote, employees at 11 game companies said their teams were in possession of Nintendo's 4K development kit for the Switch. According to Bloomberg, a system capable of handling 4K games isn't expected to be released until late next year at the earliest, according to people familiar with the plans. Nintendo immediately, I think it was like hours after the story broke, they immediately refuted the story by tweeting the following, quote, a news report on September 30th, 2021, falsely claims that Nintendo is supplying tools to drive game development for a Nintendo Switch with 4K support. To ensure correct understanding among our investors and customers, we want to clarify that this report is not true. We also want to restate that as we announced in July, we have no plans for any new model other than Nintendo Switch OLED model, which will launch on October 8th, 2021. Uh, Zynga was named in Bloomberg's story as one of the 11 developers in possession of a 4K dev kit, and they released the following statement refuting it, quote, as the Switch developer for the upcoming Star Wars Hunters game that Zynga announced on a recent Nintendo Direct, we can confirm that none of the developer kits Zynga has or is in receipt of our 4K developer kits. Now, normally in the past, we looked at these Bloomberg reports. One of them was before the Switch Lite was released, where they did sort of correctly, uh, I wouldn't use the word predict, but correctly report on a rumor that a less powerful Switch was coming out, and then something that they dubbed a Switch Pro, which was supposed to be uh, a much bigger upgrade to what we've seen from the Nintendo Switch. And then, if I'm not mistaken, Nintendo refuted those. The Switch Lite came out. Uh, then I think the Switch Pro rumor came back. Nintendo refuted that once again. So a lot of people, uh, not a lot of people, excuse me. I saw some Twitter comments talking about this report from Nintendo and saying that, you know, it's Nintendo denying something that might be true. But if that was the case, Nintendo would just kind of not say anything at all, <laughs> just ignore that report. But one of the reasons why they came forward uh, to do that, also the fact that they released a statement on their um, specific Twitter account that is for their investors was for that exact reason, to let their investors know that this was not true and we do not have any current plans of creating a 4K switch. Now, you could sort of look at that statement and read it and see where there's sort of a little bit of wiggle room. Falsely claims that, for example, Nintendo is supplying tools to drive game development for a Nintendo Switch with 4K support. And one of the reasons why I thought that this statement was a little bit weird was because Bloomberg, according to, 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 to Bloomberg, they spoke to 11 different companies. So for employees who, you know, obviously asked to remain anonymous for them at 11 different companies to make this claim and all of them just be completely wrong is a little bit unrealistic, <laughs> you know, 
uh, there is a little bit of a shadow of a doubt when it comes to that. And, you know, what I was thinking about, and, and I believe I sent a tweet out last week, was that we already know for a fact that the OLED edition dock is capable of receiving updates. So wouldn't it be funny if the 4K output is actually locked by Nintendo and they're just waiting for one of their own games that can be broadcast in 4K, such as Breath of the Wild 2, for example, um, for that to actually be unlocked on OLED edition docks. For whatever reason, they added an, uh, a way for the dock to be updated, and a lot of people sort of speculated that it was due to the LAN adapter that's built into it. But given the fact that it took... Nintendo four years to unlock Bluetooth, <laughs> it would be kind of interesting if for some reason the dock was now able to, instead of outputting at just 1080p, it was able to output at 4K, but for whatever reason, it was um, software locked. And, you know, I guess we won't know until someone decides to break open that dock. I'm sure that those internals would probably be different, so we can see if that rumor holds any water. Um... You know, in this story, Bloomberg continues to insist that the Switch needs 4K because it puts it at a technological disadvantage compared to Xbox and PlayStation. But the question I've always had whenever these rumors come out is, does Nintendo Switch need 4K? And the answer, in my opinion, even isn't, excuse me, the answer for me isn't really even an opinion. I feel like it's a fact. The fact is that Nintendo does not need 4K. The Switch has been out for four years. It's been at a technological disadvantage for all four years. And that's not even compared uh, to the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5. It was at a disadvantage going up against the PlayStation 4 and the Xbox One. And obviously, it's at a big disadvantage when it comes to PC. So with that being said, no, I do not think Nintendo Switch needs 4K. I think it would be more important for Nintendo to try to get the handheld mode up and running up to 1080p and trying to get that at a very, very, you know, surefire locked 30 frames or even able to get it to 60 frames per second on um, docked mode or handheld mode. That's way more important than this need for it to output at 4K. And we've seen games on Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5 give users this choice, whether they want 30 frames per second at 1080p or they want, you know, this fidelity of 4K with the ray tracing, excuse me, uh, 60 frames per second at 1080p or even going up to 120 frames per second for a lot of these series or a couple of these Series X games. Or do they would they rather have 4K at 30 frames per second. And from my personal experience and every single person that I've spoken to that has played a game on Series X or PlayStation 5 that has been given that choice, everyone that I personally know always takes 60 frames per second and 1080p because the, you know, the difference between 1080p and 4K, it is visible. But when we're talking about the actual act of playing video games frames i believe are more important than resolution and 
<coughs> excuse me, as long as you're able to get it to 1080p, I think that you're 100% okay, good to go. And what's really important is that those frames are locked to at least 30 frames per second, or the ideal way to play is if it would go all the way up to 60 frames per second. So that's really more important than the Nintendo Switch needing 4K. Once again, I don't think that Nintendo needs 4K. If, um, you know, even before the OLED edition was announced, I definitely did believe that the next Switch would be a new Nintendo Switch. And I I am still banking on that. I, I think um, as silly of a release as the OLED edition was, which I still think it was a bad release, it's a release that in my opinion doesn't make any sense for Nintendo. I do think that all of a sudden if they were to do a Nintendo Switch 4K edition, for example, I think that would be just as useless as an OLED edition going into the market. It just doesn't make any sense for where Nintendo is within their four years. You know, the typical console cycle is seven to eight years is usually what we are used to, which means that Nintendo definitely still has a lot of wiggle room before they get into what we would consider a Switch 2, for example, which is why I still believe that their best action at this point is a new Nintendo Switch, which is one where, you know, it's kind of on the same level as a PlayStation 4 Pro or an Xbox One X. It would be able to run and play the same exact games as the regular Nintendo Switch. The only difference being that maybe you'd get 1080p on the handheld 4K on the screen and maybe you'd be able to get 60 frames locked, maybe more internal memory, um, able to run games better, run games faster. I don't think that Nintendo is prepared to put out a Switch 2 and just abandon all the original Switch owners. I really don't think that's um, the play for them. I really think their play should be something closer to the Nintendo Switch. And I've said this so many times before on this show, I think that Switch should be Nintendo's console for the rest of their lives. I think they created the perfect hybrid, you know, in terms of handheld and TV. And I think they should just kind of keep pushing forward with that strategy, maybe take a, a page out of the Steam Deck book and make like a super pro version that's like $1,000 or something like that. But I think the console handheld hybrid should be their, their go-to for the rest of the foreseeable future. I just don't see Nintendo ever going back to a console and a handheld and, and somehow separating them. I just don't think it makes any sense. Our next story has to do with Metal Gear Solid Remake and just Konami in general. So according to VGC, Konami is preparing to revitalize Castlevania, Silent Hill, and Metal Gear Solid. So a new Castlevania game, which sources described as a reimagining of the series, is currently in development internally at Konami in Japan with support from local external studios. Also, according to the rumor, a Metal Gear Solid 3 remake is being worked on by an external studio based in China. Konami intends to release remasters of the original Metal Gear Solid games for modern consoles ahead of Snake Eater's remake. 
The report also states that multiple Silent Hill games are currently in development and various external development studios, which is something that we've already known. But they are kind of doubling down on this rumor. Actually, excuse me, I don't think it was VGC. I think it was Gamatsu who doubled down on this rumor that we've heard before, which is that one of these Silent Hill projects was being outsourced to a prominent Japanese developer earlier this year. Um, we already know one of these projects is being handled by Bloober Team, but according to Gamatsu, they're claiming that another Silent Hill project is being handled by Kojima Productions and is being funded by Sony or PlayStation. Now, this isn't the first time that we've heard this PlayStation Kojima Konami rumor. And I've stated already in the past that I, it, it, you know, I don't want to go as far as to say that I don't think this is true because the way that I like to handle rumors or, you know, any predictions that I make is usually when, when, when I talk about these types of things is because I think that going in this hypothetical direction for a company is the right way to go. Not necessarily what I am predicting for, you know, or, or it's not necessarily what I'm predicting will happen exactly, right? So when I speak about Nintendo Switch and what the next move should be, that is what I feel the next move should be regardless of any of the rumors that I've heard. And I've brought up in the past that I, I just can't imagine a scenario where Kojima would want to work with Konami again. I just personally can't imagine that scenario because uh, obviously because of the way that Konami treated him. We're talking about a company, it's not like they had an amicable split. We're talking about a company that privately embarrassed him by you know demoting him, publicly embarrassed him in terms of the way that they rolled out Metagross Solid 5 stripping his name from uh, you know the cover art stripping his name from the website kind of doing their best to erase the name Hideo Kojima from their own personal history books the way that they did not allow Kojima to do any press for Metal Gear Solid 5 they wouldn't allow him to accept that award at the game awards for example which is you know a, a scenario that I'm sure everyone is familiar with obviously we see that the, the way that they treated pt the fact that they won't allow the game to be downloaded anymore i'm sure a lot of that was due to their relationship with kojima because of all of that combined with the success that kojima was able to find on his own i just i just can't imagine a timeline where Kojima would would be ready and willing to not only work with Konami again, but also make them money in the process, you know? So I've spoken about this before where I said, I can understand Sony going to Konami with an offer and buying the Silent Hill license. I just, I think this is a rumor that could be echoed by, you know, 20 journalists and 10 different sites, and I still would refused to believe it until it was 100% um, approved and became real. And I, and, and I heard it straight from 
Kojima's mouth that he was working with Konami um, again. I brought this up also on the YouTube video that I created about Kojima being being involved in Abandon and, uh, you know, it being 100% Kojima, which is... If, we're, if we believe this rumor that Kojima and Sony are creating a Silent Hill game, the reason to me it would make no sense because there is zero upside for Kojima and PlayStation. And when, I'm, and when I say zero, I mean zero. The only people who are feverish about another Silent Hill are the gamers that grew up with Silent Hill. Silent Hill is no longer a name that rings bells. Silent Hill is no longer a big time video game brand. A lot of people look at it, they, they regard Silent Hill as this legacy horror title, which it absolutely has earned that right in gaming history. Silent Hill was, we can look back in the history, especially of PlayStation as a console, and we can say, we can plot Silent Hill in terms of being a point in time that was important to video games as a whole, especially if we're speaking about the horror genre. But the intellectual property itself is nowhere near as valuable as it once was. And obviously, that's because of Konami. They stopped making games. They decided to just use the license to, what were they doing? Do pachinko machines and... They've been using the license to sell skateboards and t-shirts once again to people that grew up with Silent Hill. I doubt that they're doing this for gamers of this current generation. So with that being said, PlayStation is supposed to be putting up the money, according to Gamatsu. Uh, I'm guessing that the deal would be somewhere along the lines where... Uh, Sony and PlayStation would be producing the title and then some sort of licensing fee would have been struck with Konami. Definitely not a flat fee. I would, I would assume it would be a percentage for every single sale. And the other reason why it doesn't make any, or it wouldn't make any sense to me, and I would repeat this even if this was 100% true. If this turns out to be 100% true, I'm still going to come back on Camp Koji and you're going to hear me say, this is a really stupid move. <laughs> the reason why I think it's a really stupid move is because there is zero upside for Sony and Kojima. And the reason why I put that number at zero is because if I'm Sony, I'm putting the money up to successfully revitalize Silent Hill as a franchise for Konami. That's what I'm doing. And yes, we will generate some revenue from sales of the title, but we will not be generating any revenue from that intellectual property. So if I'm Sony and I, I am able to successfully revitalize Silent Hill as an intellectual property, I have now increased the value of that name. I have now increased the value of Silent Hill. Which means because of that, Konami will be selling more shirts. They, you know, Konami can now go to other companies and decide to go the Resident Evil route and remake Silent Hill 1. And then a few years later, remake and release Silent Hill 2. Remake and release Silent Hill 3. And they'll be the ones that will be reaping pretty much all of those rewards. So to me, it just doesn't make any sense for me as a company to do something that in the short term um, 
maybe it might cause some people to, you know, buy PlayStation 5 hardware, but that definitely wouldn't be a sole driver for hardware. It would just be something good in combination with everything else that Sony has to offer. Obviously, Sony having one of the, if not the strongest first party lineup this generation, but it's definitely not something that you will look at, especially with it being a mature game as a dead to rights console driver. The other reason why it doesn't make sense is Kojima himself. So we're looking at Hideo Kojima. This is the man, the mind that created Metal Gear Solid, Zone of the Enders, if I'm not mistaken, was also created by him. Uh, Death Stranding. We have a man who has created multiple um, critically acclaimed, commercially valuable intellectual properties. Um, you mean to tell me that there's no part in Kojima's brain that could come up with an original horror intellectual property. This is no way, you know, even if Konami comes to me uh, and me being PlayStation, they say, Hey, do you think you could speak to Kojima? Can we give silent Hills uh, another shot? I would go to Kojima and say, Hey, how would you like to create a brand new horror intellectual property that we own 50-50, Kojima Productions owns 50%, Sony owns 50, or maybe it's a bigger split if Sony puts out more money. And now we get a much bigger chunk of the pie, and now I've created an intellectual property that I can continue building just for myself and for my company and for Kojima himself for the foreseeable future and no other company is involved. I brought this up during the YouTube video, Silent Hill and PT are two completely different things. When people play PT, when people look back and they think about PT, PT is something that we are still talking about, you know, years and years later. What has it been, 10 years? I think it's been seven or 10 years. I can't remember. And at no point of anyone speaking about PT and their experience with PT and what that buzz and all that felt like, no one talks about Silent Hill. You know, like, yes, Everyone found that trailer at the end, and it was kind of cool to see that this was tied to Silent Hills. But PT and Silent Hill are able to exist independently. So it just wouldn't, once again, zero. I plot that at zero. It would make zero sense for Kojima to work on Silent Hill when, once again, that IP is just not as valuable as it used to be. And I'm very confident, and I'm sure PlayStation is confident, and I'm sure... Kojima is confident that his team at Kojima Productions can execute an original intellectual property horror game without having to use the Silent Hill IP. It just doesn't make any sense at all. But, you know, I guess we'll have to wait and see. But my thoughts are not going to change even if they were to announce that this is real. The other thing that I want to talk about regarding Konami before I move on to the main story is this one thing that I've been noticing just thinking about social media as a whole and you know almost thinking about cancel culture versus companies who are able to just you know go quiet after doing something horrible and terrible and then being able to just come back and there almost be, you know, almost zero friction. We saw Konami almost single-handedly run Castlevania into the ground, if anyone remembers, or maybe you might not know 
that they had almost a, you know, uh, they turned Castlevania into a soft core porn pachinko machine. We saw what they did with Silent Hill. We saw what they did with Metal Gear Solid and Metal Gear Survive, almost created single-handedly to spite uh, Hideo Kojima. You know, we saw the way Konami has treated not only their most important legacy titles, but some of the most important key intellectual properties in video game history. When you think about Castlevania, Silent Hill, and Metal Gear Solid, each of them has significantly impacted their own individual genres. You can look at Silent Hill when we talk about horror, Castlevania, when we're talking about, we're, we're still using the term Metroidvania to this day. And obviously, when you talk about Metal Gear Solid in terms of cinematics, in terms of story, in terms of character, in terms of direction, in terms of just going, drilling down into the simple of a stealth game, each of those games has, has, has had a huge impact uh in in gaming culture as a whole and a lot of it is because of the people that were uh behind it you know koji garashi with castlevania kojima with metal gear uh, i'm blanking on the creator of silent hill i'm sorry but obviously everyone still brings them up in, in the composition of the music for silent hill but we saw konami almost single-handedly drive these intellectual properties into the ground and now that they're, they've changed their mind about video games and, and they see the potential profit that could be made, it's almost like people are so quick to forgive Konami. You know, you see a lot of these comments online and especially on Twitter, and there's really not much discourse about this type of news. Everyone's just really excited for another Castlevania, another Silent Hell, another Metal Gear. And especially when we think about Castlevania, you see a company that thought they knew what they were doing. If you remember correctly, I think that Castlevania cell phone game, that mobile game that they released shut down in less than a year because they had absolutely no idea what they were doing. And now it looks like they feel like they found the cheat code, which was let every anybody, let everybody else create the games and we'll just work on uh, two things. Number one, just... Uh, taking in profit from the licensing deal. And two, we're using all this other talent to revitalize our intellectual property so then we can continue to once again start selling figures. And, you know, we all know the Metal Gear Solid film is coming back. The Castlevania TV show that they put on Netflix was doing very, very well. You know, for me personally, my interest level for another Metal Gear Solid or a Metal Gear Solid 3 remake is a zero. You know, once you remove Kojima from that equation, I don't understand how anybody could get excited at all about anything Metal Gear Solid. I am definitely not interested at all in a Metal Gear Solid 6 or a Metal Gear Solid prequel or anything because Kojima is no longer there. Like, I, I just have no interest in it. Like, if... A TV studio were to announce, you know, Pulp Fiction 2, but Tarantino isn't writing or directing it. I have zero interest in seeing like seeing something like that. I have no interest in watching one of my favorite properties growing up as a kid, which was Metal Gear Solid, one of my favorite games of all time, um, continue to be worked on and cashed in on without the original director either at the helm or even being able to give any type of input or blessing at all. I'm just not interested um, in any of that. 
And you know what? The same thing goes with Castlevania. I'm just not interested in it if Koji is not involved. It's just not... I, I just don't understand anyone's excitement in seeing any of this news when it comes to Konami once again driving these these games into the ground and all of a sudden seeing a way for them to bring it back, not because fans have been missing them so much, not because they understand how important it is to gaming as a culture, but because they finally see a way for them to make money. And who knows, these things are probably going to be filled with microtransactions the same way that they did with uh, Metal Gear Survive. If you remember correctly, I think they charge people just to even purchase um, extra save slots. So yeah, I, I kind of don't understand why people are so quick to forgive Konami. I'm definitely not. Now on to our story of the week, which is about Xbox and PlayStation, but I'm actually going to start with Xbox and a few announcements that they made during the Tokyo Game Show last week. So last week, Xbox announced it was launching Xbox Cloud Gaming in Brazil, Mexico, Australia, and Japan. According to Xbox, that gives them a potential audience of 1 billion. Now, this news kind of came, and I feel like it sort of quickly went and i think i think uh you know gaming twitter talked about it for a few hours and i think that we can all agree that xbox cloud gaming is still very much in its infancy and i think uh from a sort of technical perspective i still think it has a lot of room to grow but when I saw this news, I felt like people were making as big of a deal as I think we should be making for the fact that this uh, Xbox Cloud Gaming is, is finally coming to these four specific regions. And the biggest impact from this news is hands down is going to be Latin America. This gives Xbox a substantial presence when it comes to brazil specifically brazil is latin america's largest games market with a 30 percent share followed by mexico which is at 19 percent and i want to focus on brazil first and what cloud gaming finally coming into brazil actually means so globally brazil is the world's 11th largest gaming market and has over 62 million gamers, which is more than most major European markets. I think their population of gamers is bigger than France, for example. I think even UK. Um, Brazil's gaming market is expected to hit 2.3 billion this year. Mobile gaming revenue is expected to reach 1.1 billion by the end of this year. Now, right now, PlayStation still is a console leader. In Brazil, it's kind of been a little bit up and down between Xbox and PlayStation. But one of the reasons why I won't say that PlayStation 5 is losing its grip because once again, PlayStation and Xbox are very much a little bit neck and neck when it comes to Brazil. Um, you know, one of the biggest issues for consoles in Brazil is the price of the price that they have to sell their systems at. So the price of a PlayStation 5 um, converts to about $790 US. And that's actually down from what its original launch price was supposed to be, which was $880 US. So imagine here in the United States, we complain so much 
about you know not being able to get our hands on the system because uh, obviously you know the uh, supplies outstrip and demand and then we're talking about resellers marking up the price so imagine if you are in brazil <laughs> not only do you have the problem of um, demand outstripping supply but you also have the issue of the base price being once again the equivalent of 790 dollars here in the united states now imagine if you're trying to get um, that system secondhand in brazil you know, that can definitely go up to probably $1,300, $1,400 US just to get the console itself. In comparison, Xbox Series X is about $810 USD. Now, if you think that was bad, that's actually the second most expensive PlayStation to ever release in Brazil. The last one was actually PlayStation 4. And that, I kind of couldn't believe this number when I saw it. That, that one was actually $1,845 us dollars that was what it translated to the reason why it's so much cheaper now when it comes to the playstation 5 even though obviously the console is more powerful is because of the way import taxes used to work in brazil and the way they still the way that they are now they're obviously way more relaxed and i wanted to bring up this particular tweet a few months ago god of war director Corey barlock once tweeted games are for everyone at least they are in the world I want to live in. A Brazilian fan responded, quote, kind of hard with how expensive they are nowadays. A PS5 in Brazil costs five monthly minimum wages. It's just not for everyone anymore. Barlog replied, yeah, frankly, that is some bullshit. Now, the Switch over there costs about $567 USD. And once again, the price of these systems is separate to the price of the game. So about a $70, I think a $70 game averages to about $65 here in the United States. Now, with all of that being said, that's one of the reasons why this announcement to be is so important for Xbox to take this step as the first console manufacturer to release a solution to this growing problem in Brazil. So you have these factors of the high cost of cons console gaming, um, the increasing numbers when it comes to mobile gaming in Brazil, and then you add to that the immense population of Brazil, and you could see why this is a huge territory for Xbox and the future of Game Pass and cloud gaming. It's actually so important to Xbox that if I'm not mistaken, Brazil was one of the first territories that had access to the xCloud beta. Uh, obviously, they were not the first market to get it, but I think that's because Xbox wanted to make 100% sure that they were ready for that territory. That's uh, a market that has such a, uh, a, a potential upside that you really want to make sure you get it right the first time. And when you think about uh, Game Pass, one month of Game Pass Ultimate over in Brazil is actually cheaper than it is here in the United States. It's $8.27 per month. So you think about the fact that when it comes to the Series X, you're now not having to pay $810 for that console. You can now just off of the phone that you already own in Brazil or your uh, PC or your laptop, be able to um, use cloud gaming to stream some of your 
favorite games. And once again, I'm not sure what those blades are in Brazil, but I'm, I'm going to assume that they are Series X blades. That was where Xbox was going towards. And then you're also talking about um, not having to uh, pay for games in full. You're able to just buy Game Pass Ultimate for $8.27. You combine all of that with, once again, the rise of mobile gaming in Brazil. This is a really, really big deal for Xbox. It's not even talking about Mexico, Australia, and Japan, even though I don't think the impact is going to be so huge in Japan until Xbox um, gets really, really serious about getting content that is catered for that market, which is just something that Xbox has never been able to do consistently. Now, um, you know, I, I praise Xbox before when it comes to their strategy, this particular uh, console cycle that we're going through. But this is kind of one of those factors that I didn't really think about until I started rolling out to these other markets, which was Xbox's sort of key when it comes to this console cycle is really lowering that barrier of entry. When you think about Game Pass Ultimate, you're already lowering the barrier of entry in order to actually get into being able to play video games. And I think so many people, um, what's the word that I'm looking for? I guess downplay, I don't even know how you could downplay it, but I think they downplay the amount of value that Game Pass is able to deliver to people who just can't afford to con you know, consistently and continually shell out 60 and even now $70 per game when you're talking about a service that has hundreds of games that you have access to. And sometimes I think people forget or they they fail to think about the price of gaming even, you know, back in the Super Nintendo, Nintendo 64 games where games were even more expensive than they are now. You know, some uh, 64 games were 80, 90 bucks. Some were even up to $100, I remember. Uh, when it came to Nintendo 64 releases. So the fact that for, you know, 10, 15, you know, 827 a month in Brazil, you have a list of all these games that you have access to on top of uh, Xbox being very aggressive with, with adding touch controls to various games, uh, adding the ability to stream games straight from your own home console. Uh, I am, I think I brought this up before, but I'm, you know, 100% confident at some point you'll be able to purchase and stream any game that is on the Xbox marketplace outside of Xbox Game Pass. I know that that's something that publishers will be 100% ready and willing to be a part of that program if, um, you know, Far Cry 6 comes out and just straight off of my cell phone, I can, you know, pay, pay that $59, $69, $99 dollars for it and just be able to start streaming it and you know be able to you know maybe i'm on the go when far cry 6 i decide to buy it i'm able to start the game on my cell phone as soon as i purchase it it's already downloading on my xbox at home that's an ecosystem that i could definitely see them going into now xbox also at um they also announced AI Somnium Files and Scarlet Nexus will be coming to Xbox Game Pass, which is pretty cool. 
And one thing that was interesting was that during a roundtable discussion, Take-Two CEO Strauss Zelnick, who once stressed he didn't believe in placing new titles on subscription services such as Game Pass, mentioned that Xbox had reached 30 million subscribers. Now, Phil Spencer did not confirm nor deny the statement, merely replying, the last public number we announced was 18. Now, that 18 million subscriber report was actually revealed by Xbox themselves in January 2021. At that point, they were averaging 1 million new subscribers per month, which means that they should have at least 26 million subscribers by now. Now, do I personally think that they actually hit that 30 million number? No, I don't think they actually hit that yet. I don't think that there was enough content within this year, uh, or especially the first half of this year, to drive further adoption more than a million subscribers per month. And also, I feel like if they surpassed 30 million subscribers, I don't think Phil, Phil Spencer would have... Um, kind of made it much of a point to point out that, well, the last public number we announced was 18. I, I, I sort of feel like there would have been a part of them that probably would have confirmed that if they had surpassed 30 million or maybe said something a little bit more tongue-in-cheek. I think they're probably sitting uh, a little bit below 30 million. Now, the most fascinating part to me of Game Pass's growth has been the fact that Technically, Xbox has been able to sustain this growth all without a major AAA release. There really hasn't been this major, major game that came out to Game Pass. Um, I'm trying to think in my head. I really don't think there has been. There have been third-party games that went on their day run, such as Outriders. You know, we're going to have Back for Blood coming out in a few weeks. Um but it sort of feels like Halo Infinite will be their sort of very first major, major AAA release since Game Pass Ultimate and all this content has been up and rolling. Um, you know, once again, Back for Blood is expected this month. Forza Horizon 5 is expected in November. Halo Infinite is expected in December. And all of that obviously is outside of all the third-party offerings that they're talking about. There's no doubt in my mind that Xbox will surpass 30 million and, um, you, you know, depending on where they keep moving, it could be even as high as 33, 34 million. But I sort of feel like that's a little bit of a stretch for them, especially given the fact that Halo Infinite will be free to play. I guess we'll have to wait and see how much of an impact that um, campaign has. Um, you know, another interesting stat that I want to bring up is that it took four years for Xbox to reach 23 million subscribers. Game Pass came out in 2017, uh, which is a similar pace as Netflix, but it will actually surpass Netflix's yearly average within the same time frame. Game, but Game Pass is set to surpass 33 million subs an entire year before Netflix. Now, you know, obviously Netflix, you know, we're, we're talking about Netflix was coming in at a much lower monthly advantage. You have to think about the fact that Netflix was way cheaper when it was there every month. I believe it started at less than $10 a month. You also have to remember that a lot of those accounts starting off in the first years, and I think within the first five years of Netflix, were, um, uh, what do you call it? It was a hybrid of DVD and streaming, which also helped out with their adoption. But just like Netflix, 
a lot of the first few years of Xbox didn't really have a lot of compelling original content. And that's really when Netflix sort of hit um, another level when it came to their streaming service was when Orange is the New Black rolled out, House of Cards rolled out, started winning awards. And that's really where that's that's really the piece that Xbox is missing at this point when it comes to Game Pass is it's great to see all these third party releases. I think it's amazing to, you know, interact with games that maybe you would never have interacted with and probably be able to find something that you probably would have you know, otherwise never have really been into, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll once again, bring up Netflix as a perfect example about that. Everyone around the world right now is talking about Squid Game on Netflix. It's, it's on track to become Netflix's biggest show ever. And, you know, it was a show that the moment that I saw some images and saw a little bit of a teaser trailer, I even watched the full trailer I just read up on the premise and I knew this was a show that I wanted to watch. It just, it was just a premise that I'm 100% sold on. So the moment it went up into the service, I watched it, absolutely loved it. Such an amazing show. But when you think about a lot of these shows that seem to become mega, mega popular on Netflix, especially the last few years, you think about Lupin, you think about Squid Game, and you think about, um, Casa de Papel or, or Money Heist. You know, these are all foreign language shows. You know, Casa de Papel, I believe, was made in Spain. You're talking about Squid Game, which is a, a, a Korean um, TV show. Uh, Lupong, French. And that is the power of having a streaming service such as Netflix. And the same goes for Xbox. You know, would Squid Game... That, excuse me, I don't even have to question it. Squid Game would not be this popular if it didn't have that very low barrier to entry, especially for it being a foreign language film. If Squid Game was released just in theaters, um, I don't think, uh, obviously it's a TV show, so I guess it's different, <laughs> but, um, you know, um, even, even I'm trying to think of like a good foreign language film. I'm, I'm sure there are many uh, films that I'm, I'm thinking about um, that were released on Netflix that uh, have become popular along with the TV shows that probably would not have if there was a barrier to entry, meaning having to go to a movie theater, having to pay that fee, for example. And, you know, I think the same thing is really going to happen to Xbox when it comes to the future of xCloud and Game Pass. The key that they're really missing right now, why I think that their growth is so admirable is the fact that they're really doing it without a lot of first party, uh, not even just first party content, but exclusive content, period. Really everything that hits Game Pass and has hit Game Pass, even if we're thinking about um, Scarlet Nexus that was recently added, th these are multi-platform games. It's not like they're only available on Xbox. And even though Microsoft has gone out of their way to go get all of these game studios, you know, there's really no fruit <laughs> coming from that tree. Xbox still has a lot to prove when it comes to that. But once those releases start coming out, especially when you start to think about the fact that a lot of these releases are going to come from studios and directors and teams that are already well established, right? Um, 
you know, let's let's knock the initiative out of the way with Perfect Dark. Let's get, you know, even even Fable. I would knock to the side. I would knock um, Everwild off to the side because this is coming from like question. Like there's still like a question mark. Like damn, how how good can Fable be coming from a team that's really used to do, making racing games? How good will Perfect Dark be coming from a brand new company? Um, you know, Xbox just doesn't have that track record that PlayStation does where PlayStation can just announce absolutely anything right now. PlayStation can just give me, you know, the name of a game, you know, <laughs> the game could be called, you know, Gunsmith Reloaded or something like that. And it could just literally just be a name as long as it's being published from Sony I know I can expect something that's very, very high quality, which is almost why I, I usually use the moniker of HBO. I give it to PlayStation. They just, they've just established that track record. If Xbox is able to do the same, whether it's going after third-party exclusivity to launch on Game Pass or on an xCloud service, or um, obviously getting into a good track record. We know Redfall, um, you know, is it, 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 coming exclusively to Xbox. Once Starfield comes out next year, it's it's very equivalent to them finally having that Orange is the New Black um, hitting those services. And then I think that's really when those subscriber numbers are going to um, to jump. Now, in PlayStation news, they finally confirmed. The leak that Sony Japan accidentally confirmed months ago, which was the acquisition of Blue Point Games. So of course, there was really not that much of a surprise there. I was very, very happy to hear that Blue Point confirmed that they are working on an original project. In my opinion, that um, studio is just way too talented to just keep doing um, nothing but remakes. There are so many amazing third-party studios that if you are PlayStation, you would like to remake you know, the original infamous for whatever reason. I think that there are teams that are more than capable of doing it. But what Blue Point has been able to do when we think about Shadow of Colossus and especially looking at the re-release of Demon Souls, yeah, that 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 team is just way too good <laughs> to do nothing but remake. So I'm happy to hear that they're working on an original project. Um you know, just a, another great acquisition from Sony. I've said this before. I really, really love, you know, Sony's um, acquisition strategy compared to Xbox, where Xbox just looks for some success and then they go out to acquire, whereas Sony has sort of been a little bit more like, hey, we've worked with the studio for so long. Let's just go ahead and bring them on. But after this acquisition, I feel like, you know, there's not really many big third-party studios that Sony has worked with uh, lately that they have not just gone ahead and acquired, unless we're thinking about smaller studios um, that probably just helped in the development cycle of some of their games. There really aren't really too many studios out there. I can I can maybe see PlayStation making offer to Kojima for Kojima Productions, but they kind of are a little bit out of studios now. Um, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. They, they have a very, very strong stable of, I mean, it must be close to, to 10 studios um, by now. Uh, you know, obviously we don't know what the price was, but 
there's just no way that this was not the most expensive studio that Sony has gone ahead and acquired. You know, Bluepoint's price has definitely gone up, especially when we think about the fact that Bluepoint holds a lot of leverage because of the current climate of video games right now. You know, Sony is beginning to, not beginning to understand, but they understand full well that content is king. And they see what Xbox is doing. They understand their strategy. They understand that given the landscape of what we see from streaming services such as, you know, Peacock, Netflix, uh, you know, HBO Max, for example, it's really all about content, content and delivering consistent content is how you keep people subscribed. It's how you keep people engaged and I think Bluepoint was very fully aware of it, so I'm sure that they were asking for a, a pretty big price, and I think that they deserved it um, because of their previous work. But I also think that it's funny. I brought, I actually brought it up. I can't remember if it was a tweet or if it was in a previous episode. I brought up the fact that that leak is going to cost Sony because I feel like that's going to cause Bluepoint's price to go up. And I wonder if that's one of the reasons why it took so long. Um, this is probably one of the first acquisitions in a while that I think, I'm going to be honest, I think Bluepoint made a mistake. And the reason why I think they made a mistake is I think that there is so much raw homegrown talent within that studio especially seeing you know after what they were able to do with demon souls that i think it would have been more valuable for that company's future to have remained independent um as opposed to striking excuse me as opposed to being sold to sony i think if i'm bluepoint and i have an original idea i'm probably going to sony for an exclusivity deal you know hey ps5 exclusive for six months um, then moving it on to PC and maybe Xbox. But I, I, I kind of feel like it was, a, this is probably the one of the first acquisitions that I feel like, wow, I think this was kind of a, a bit of a, a, a mistake or the money was just way too rich, um, for the people that own blue point to just, it was an offer they probably couldn't refuse. But this is one of those first studios that I go, man, you guys are a really, really valuable team in this current climate, especially when you see a studio that can remake and revitalize a um, franchise and a game the way that they are have been able to do when you look at their history, um, you know, there would have been have no there would have been no shortage of work for this company had they remained independent. So I was a little bit surprised that they sold to Sony, but I'm guessing that it was a price that they could not um, refuse. Now, with this this being said, I think so Sony will, I, I think, I, I want to say I think Sony's done acquiring studios, but I think Sony is happy with the last few acquisitions that they made. I think they all make sense for the direction that PlayStation is starting to go. I personally think that PlayStation's focus now needs to go back to what they have already been doing which is having discussions with publishers and just locking down exclusive third-party content. I think that's really going to be their strategy going forward because I think Sony right now is in a very comfortable position where they are thinking to themselves, 
where we are sitting, we are, we have become untouchable when it comes to first party offering. And it's Sony has been in that position for quite some time. I've said this before on this show. I think Sony has surpassed Nintendo when it comes to a first party publisher. I do think that they have a better talent team. I think they have made smarter decisions when it comes to their release slate. And I think that their IP has, you know, if we look at the percentage of increase to their value, I think has probably seen the most growth across the the industry when it comes to any publisher. And you can kind of already have seen what they've been doing uh, even before Xbox was going heavy with their acquisitions, right? They did the Deathloop deal, the Ghostwire deal. They were in talks to do a deal for Starfield. We 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 see the deals that they've been striking with Square Enix and um, looking at Forspoken becoming um, an exclusive. And it definitely will not be the last. We saw them already going back to Marvel and saying, you know, however that project came across to make Wolverine just one of the um, biggest pop culture icons in the world to make that game exclusive to PlayStation. is it, It's a huge, huge deal. Not only just because of the studio that's going to be working on it, we all know this is probably going to be a massive success, but the fact that, you know, we haven't had a Wolverine game in a while. Wolverine as a character is about to be reintroduced um, by Marvel and the MCU will probably, you know, because of their track record, be the best depiction of Wolverine on the big screen, taking nothing away from Hugh Jackman. But once again, um, given Marvel's track record, they've done an amazing job when it comes to introducing the, these characters on the big screen. No, Wolverine stock is about to go up. So getting that as an excuse as an exclusive is a huge deal. There are rumors that PlayStation 5 is going to have some sort of other Marvel multiplayer exclusive game. There's just no way that PlayStation is done with trying to offer up this money for third-party exclusives. And I really personally think that that's the way for them to go at this moment. I don't think that they should go the Microsoft route and just start buying up studios, you know, left and right, you know, no matter how talented they are. I think that Sony should stick with 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 their DNA and only acquiring studios that they've worked with closely where they know that everything will, you know, align, you know, line up perfectly where they know they won't really have um, many issues after the acquisition is done. So I think for the time being, they just should continue going after third party releases because it sort of looks like Xbox is not really too interested in that route it looks like they're really 100 confident in just keeping their own content in the house and having that power a lot of game pass adoption but you know xbox and playstation are both very much in this content arms race and you know xbox's current advantage is the price of entry to access that content is drastically lower than playstation but playstation's advantage is that their content just, you know, that value just completely overshadows the value of Xbox's first party content. Um, and, and, and a lot of that is just, you know, we have to still wait and see, you know, like we're all expecting Starfield to be amazing because of Bethesda's, um, 
you know, history, we're expecting Redfall and the future of Arcane to be amazing. But what people need to remember is that when it comes to almost pretty much every single acquisition that Microsoft has made, all of the IP that we're seeing from that those companies right now, none of it was incubated within Xbox's ecosystem. So it's going to be a while till we get a game from these studios that was, uh, excuse me, by these studios, I mean the studios that they acquired, that was an idea and an intellectual property that was created while under the purchase of Xbox. When you think about Redfall, Redfall was not created after the acquisition. That was already being worked on since the work on Deathloop was starting to wind down. The same goes with Starfield. We could say the same about Elder Scrolls Six. that preliminary work for that was had already been started in Bethesda. When we think about Machine Games and Indiana Jones when that comes out, which I, I'm, I'm saying 100% sure you could bank on it being an Xbox and PC exclusive, it's still not something that's being incubated under Xbox. Hellblade 2 is another. You know, we saw Psychonauts 2, who knows what if, if Double Find, the next game, is it going to be something brand new under that umbrella? And that's really where Xbox has had so much trouble. When you think about Rare and the amount of duds that they released, you know, um, it, it's I don't have the same confidence with, with Xbox as I do with PlayStation, right? Even when I think about Halo Infinite, it's amazing that the multiplayer is amazing, right? I love that it was it was great. But of course, I was worried until we finally was able to see it. I was like, okay. But I'm also still worried about Halo Infinite's campaign. We're two months away. We haven't seen absolutely anything about it. Um, the last time we saw it, it looked horrible. Uh, excuse me, let me not say horrible. It, it really did not look very good. So, of course, I have way more concern about Xbox than I do a PlayStation when it comes to their first party offering. Um, so it's just it's just really interesting that we, we've reached this point in video game in, in video games as a whole where, you know, content has always been king, but it's now become way more important. And um, I think PlayStation's strategy is my content is going to be so good you're going to be more than happy to pay that $500 entry fee to get into it where uh, whereas Xbox's strategy is more about we want to get you into these games as quickly and as cheaply as possible and we think you're going to like our content we think that once you experience Game Pass no matter where you're going to try it on your PC your TV your phone over the cloud, downloading, purchasing a game. We think you're going to enjoy it. And we think more and more people are going to interact with it because the point of entry is so low, which is why I've been saying in the past that Xbox is getting closer and closer to what I feel has always been the pipe dream for video games, which is it being treated like every other entertainment medium that we've come to uh, think of in terms of interacting with it, where, whereas what I mean by that content comes first, hardware comes second. When you subscribe for Netflix or HBO, you don't really worry about whether your screen can display it. Um, you feel pretty confident that it will be able to, that there will be an app for that. And that's where Xbox wants to go. They want there to be a future where 
You're not asking yourself, will my screen be able to play Elder Scrolls 6? You're really just worrying about just the content. You're not really worrying about the hardware as opposed to the way that we've traditionally looked at it, which was if you want to play this brand new game, you either need a really, really souped up PC or you have to be ready to drop $500 on a console. But I think, you know, the future is very, very exciting for um for us as gamers which is what i always say whether you like xbox whether you like playstation i think that we all win and i think one of the things that makes game pass and these exclusives you know these bethesda exclusives so interesting is that technically you can go out and buy your 500 dollar PlayStation in order to play in order to interact with those amazing Sony exclusives and then not even have to pay the full price for Xbox Series X. You can buy an Xbox One and stream X titles. You can buy an S and stream X titles. You can, you know, just get it on PC and and, and go through Game Pass. Your PC doesn't even have to be capable of running these games natively. You can just stream that. So I think it's kind of cool for consumers because you can have the best of both worlds and not have to spend twice the amount of money, which I think is pretty cool. This week's hot releases tomorrow, October 5th. We have Alan Wake remastered PC, PS4, PS5, Xbox one, Xbox series X, super monkey ball, banana mania, PC switch, PS4, PS5, Xbox one, Xbox series X jet, the far shore, PC, PS4, and PS5 BPM bullets per minute, PS4 and Xbox one Lego Marvel superheroes coming to switch and hell let loose. That's coming to Xbox series X PlayStation five and it is also free for PlayStation Plus subscribers. October 6th, we have Art of Rally for PS4, PS5. October 7th, we have Far Cry 6, PC, PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X. And then October 8th, we have Tetris Effect Connected coming to Switch. It's also the same day Nintendo Switch OLED Edition releases, along with Metroid Dread, obviously, for Nintendo Switch. Now time to wrap it up. These are stories we did not have time to get to. Capcom president and COO Haruhiro Sujimoto told Bloomberg at the Tokyo Game Show that it wants PC to eventually become its primary platform. I think this absolutely makes 100% sense, not just because of the way that the industry is trending, but because of the amount of success that Capcom, that Capcom has seen on PC. I think Capcom has been doing everything right. I've said this multiple times on this show. When you create content, you have to make sure you cater it to the platform that you're releasing it on. So when you think about Monster Hunter Rise, it's great that Capcom made that with Nintendo Switch in mind instead of trying to build something and then strip it down to work on Nintendo Switch. And that's why they've seen so much success kind of across all consoles. Um, And then you, you think about the fact that fighting games are growing every single year on PC and obviously Capcom is big on that um, and we'll definitely see another Street Fighter within the next few years so I think it, it just makes a lot of sense to go towards that direction especially when you think about PC adoption around the world. Netflix has acquired Oxenfree developer in Night School Studio making it Netflix's first gaming studio. I brought this up the first time I spoke about Netflix and into games. I think I, I just think it's a mistake. I don't think it makes any sense at all um you know netflix is an entertainment product for film and tv first and foremost 
um, for them to give subscribers video games. It's like, you know, kind of a cool cherry on top, but I don't see many subscribers that have never been on Netflix before driving towards Netflix just to play a particular title or just to play a particular game, even it was if it was exclusive to Netflix's platform. Um, that's not really the way you, that you're going to retain subscribers. It just doesn't really make any sense at all. As I said, if they want to get into gaming, their best bet is to create a Netflix gaming division, um, a production arm that works on absolutely nothing but producing TV shows and um, movies based on video game properties. I think that would bolster their subscriber numbers way more than putting out actual video games. Last, last week, Konami released eFootball, and it quickly became Steam's most hated game ever. I, uh, I find this funny because I actually praised Konami for eFootball. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> I, it's one of the horses that I beat on this show when it comes to multiplayer releases. I think the way that we're trending towards in the future of video games is you release it once, you put out updates for free and you make your money back through microtransactions, uh, most of them being, most if not all of them being cosmetic. The mistake that Konami made, it looks like with eFootball, is that it sort of looks like they built a game that would work across all platforms, including mobile, instead of scaling the game across uh, systems. So... That's the reason why the game looks so crummy on consoles. That's why that's the reason why it plays really bad. So it's probably built with mobile in mind. And obviously that's not the way to go about it. I still believe that this content model 100% works. It's just Konami being Konami, the greedy, shitty company that they are. They obviously did it the wrong way. I've said it before. You have to give before you ask, and they are asking for people to pre-order loot boxes um, before the game is even ready. Uh, it just doesn't make any sense. They just did it the wrong way. And finally, one person with insider knowledge has told VGC that Twisted Metal is being revived around a free-to-play model and will be developed by Lucid Games, the same team behind Destruction All-Stars. I find this very funny because on this very show, after the first footage of Destruction All-Stars was released... I remember saying, and I think I tweeted it, which I can't believe Sony owns the Twisted Metal title and they made this company create all new characters. It just doesn't make any sense at all to me. <laughs> and so it's kind of funny that the same team is now uh, rumored to be working on a Twisted Metal. I think a free-to-play model is 100% where it should go. I definitely agree with that if i was lucid games actually i would even add a fall guys type of battle royale mode think about twisted metal on a sort of procedurally generated endless track instead of it being an arena and obviously the arena gameplay would be there but a, a separate mode where you're just racing the track consistently changes procedurally generated there's a bunch of traps you can eliminate other cars along the way and obviously you're trying to be the, the the last person to get through the finish line something like that would be very very interesting for a free-to-play model that's a free idea playstation if you're listening i know you are you can go ahead and take it and before we we round up the show i just have to point this out in a youtube video former twisted metal lead david jaffe said sony never contacted him about the series revival and claimed he would love to have some sort of input 
And when I first read that sentence, I said, man, I kind of get that, right? You you kind of, this was your baby. You, you were part of the team that created this amazing franchise that so many PlayStation fans love. I am definitely one of them that grew up playing and, 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 and falling in love with these characters and the story and the world. Um, so I remember saying, yeah, you know what? I would be kind of bummed out if PlayStation didn't reach out to me. But then David Jaffe <laughs> immediately in the same video threatened Sony by saying, quote, I know things. I know where the bodies are buried. Hell, I know who pulled the trigger before they buried the fucking body. So I <laughs> just, I don't understand how you say, damn, so that was kind of messed up that you did invite me. And then in the same breath, you threatened them uh, with revealing sensitive information. Like Jaffe, how comfortable do you feel? <laughs> how, how sure are you that Sony is now going to contact you? Uh, that, that is at a none percent now after what you just said. Uh, before we go, shout out to shout out of the week goes to Santa Monica Studios. That's the team behind God of War. Last week, the voice of Kratos, Christopher Judge, released a statement claiming that he was the reason for the game's delay, tweeting, quote, 100 in my fields right now. I need to be forthcoming. This has been approved by no one to the beloved fandom. Ragnarok was delayed because of me. In August 2019, I couldn't walk, had to have back surgery, both hips replaced, and knee surgery. They waited for me to rehab. And I at first thought that uh, Santa Monica would refute this. I kind of said to myself, there's no way that this was the only reason why. That sounds kind of crazy that that would be the reason why this was delayed by so long. Um, but it, 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 it wasn't Corey Barlock sort of, uh, uh, came out with a statement, you know, sort of saying that he would do it again and, and showing support for him. So yeah, the fact that this company waited for him instead of trying to, you know, find another voice actor that maybe sounded just like him or for the same direction, I, I think it's pretty amazing but at the same time I, I said this before there's i don't think god of war should have released this year either way so i think it's gonna work out to create a better game in the end anyway but that's a pretty cool story um that's it for the show thank you so much for joining me please follow us on twitter instagram and youtube at camp koji for future updates once again i'm joel and i will see you all next week